0: Hebrews chapter 8, if I were to entitle this one, which I did, I'm calling it Power Released. Hebrews 8, it shows a transition for us from the old priesthood and the old covenant to a new, a new priesthood and a new covenant. And just for clarification, the first covenant establishes God's favor through obedience to the law. We see that in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. After God, through Moses, led the Israelites out of Egypt, and they were coming on up before the Ten Commandments were established, in verse 5 of chapter 19, uh, God tells Moses, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me, Above all people. The new covenant that we're talking about here establishes God's favor by grace through faith. Okay, for a reference on that, Ephesians 2, verse 8. And what we see him referring to here in verses 8 through 12 on Hebrews 8 is taken directly from Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 same scripture again the hebrews the writer of hebrews drew something from the old testament because the audience was very familiar with these scrolls it Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 it's the exact same text that is being quoted here in chapter 8 verses 8 through 12 and and it is the um the prophecy of the Messiah is going to be fulfilled in this new covenant. This new covenant is wrapped around the Messiah. Okay. And so we read those verses over there. Some side by side comparisons. In the first covenant, it said that if you obey the law, God says you'll be my people. <clears throat> in the new covenant, he says he's going to write his law on our hearts and in our minds and he's going to be merciful to us. And our unrighteousness, he's going to have mercy on our unrighteousness, and our sins and lawless deeds will be remembered no more. We just read this. That's the new covenant. In the first covenant, there was a veil that was established, to keep the Holy of Holies away from the people. That only one high priest, once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, through a blood sacrifice for himself and for others, was able to go through that veil. That was the only time that veil was to be um, a permitted, a person was permitted to go into the Holy of Holies. In the new covenant covenant, sorry, it shows that the once-for-all blood sacrifice of Jesus. Tore that veil Mm -hmm. between God and his people. It affords us the unfettered access to the creator of the universe, to the throne of God. No longer are we required to have someone else teach us his ways. He's going to teach us himself. The Old Testament is is a record of the nation of Israel struggling, flailing about Keep a covenant with God and failing in that. The New Testament shows Jesus Christ keeping the covenant for us because we couldn't. This is the side by side comparison of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant, Jesus Himself is the mediator of the New Covenant. He's the one that makes sure that things are happening the way they're supposed to happen. Aaron and his offsprings were high priests of the Old Covenant, offering gifts and sacrifices like we see here in chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus is our eternal high priest. We we went over that last chapter. Making intercession for us always and seated at the right hand of God. That's verse 1 of this chapter. But what I'd like to focus on tonight is something that really kind of jumped off the page at me as I read it. Um, and that's verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And I struggled with that because it implies that there was a fault with the first covenant. So I had to really kind of dig into this because last time I checked, God was perfect. Perfect. Right, and we're supposed to be strive to be perfect. And if God created that first covenant, how could it have any fault in it? It's definitely the people. But here's here's what I found from Spurgeon. I looked up in the commentaries, and Charles Spurgeon wrote this. And and when I read this, I said that answers all my questions. Okay, so if you'll per- permit me, I'm going to read Spurgeon's commentary on this particular verse, or I'll, I'll read a part of it. Regarding this 7th verse, he says, When God gave to Israel His law, the law of the first covenant, it was such a holy law that it ought to have been kept by His people. It was a just and righteous law. The law of the Ten Commandments is strictly just. It is such a law as a man might make for himself if he studied his own best interests and had wisdom enough to frame it aright. It is a perfect law in which the interests of God and man are both studied. It is not a partial law, but impartial. It's complete and covering all the circumstances of life. You could not take away one command out of the ten without spoiling both tables of the law. And you could not add another command without being guilty of making a superfluity. Superfluity, sorry. It's an unnecessary or excessive thing. I'm not that smart. The law is holy and just and good. It is like the God who made it. It is a perfect law. Then surely it ought to have been kept. That's Spurgeon's commentary on that verse. So my question is: why does the Hebrew of uh, the author of Hebrews seem to imply that the first covenant had a fault or a flaw? It's because the law was, it's not because the law was not perfect, but it was given to a people that were not perfect. And the law did not provide the power to obey it. It was a perfect law. Absent the power to be able to do it. Okay? And that is why we need a new covenant. That's the very reason why we need a new covenant. Grace is the power that an imperfect people need to follow God's perfect law. Just like the temple was a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. And why Moses was told to build it here in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, Moses was told to build it according to God's exact pattern. Because if he screwed it up, he's going to misrepresent what God said about his son. So was the law of foreshadowing of our need for the grace of God through the fa- sacrifice of Jesus Christ without the gift of grace which according to ephesians 2 verse 8 was a gift from God himself we have no power to obey god okay in light of what has happened this last week for this group my question is is grace enough let me explain This week, we got reports about two people that passed from this world to the next. Sarah, who we were diligently praying for, and Chris, who we were diligently praying for. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm hurt. I was hurt, and I am hurt. And I think part of that, and I didn't know either of these people personally, but I think part of it is I'm, I'm hurt selfishly. Because I did everything that I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Okay, I prayed. Yeah. I pressed in. I believed. I commanded. I took authority over illness. I did everything that I was supposed to do. Nevertheless, they're both gone. Yeah. I'm hurt mm-hmm. by that. Yeah. So now what do we do? that's a very real thing. It's not just the passing of people. But what if we have somebody that we pray for, for healing, and they don't get healed? Not that they pass up from this world to the next. They're in a better place. We should be rejoicing. But if I pray for somebody who has a a tumor, and the tumor progresses, and they don't get better, or someone who's in a wheelchair, and they don't stand up, does that change my doctrine? I'm going to tell you what I do know in light of all this. I'm going to tell you my personal beliefs based on Scripture and based on my experience with them, okay? Number one, I believe that it's God's desire that all of His children walk in perfect health all the time. That's scriptural. I believe it. And that's it. That's all that matters. I believe that the stripes that Jesus took for us over 2,000 years ago were a prepayment for my illnesses, sicknesses, and diseases today. And for every one of his children. I believe that. I believe that we are healed and we were healed. I believe that when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. Every pain, every suffering, everything that we go through in life, every disappointment every discouragement every everything that we go through jesus walked it out as an example for us and when he said it's finished i believe it's finished i believe that when jesus said in matthew 10:8 that we're to heal the sick were to cleanse the lepers, were to cast out demons, and were to raise the dead, I believe that that was a command for us. I don't think that it was a suggestion. I don't think it was a feel-good thing for that time. I believe it's something that we're supposed to do today. It doesn't say, like Bill Johnson says, it doesn't say pray for the sick. It says heal them. And I believe that that's a command that we have as children of God to do. I believe that God hears us when we pray. I believe that because His Word says it. And I believe that we can move the hand of God with our prayers. We see it in Scripture. Remember God told Moses, I'm going to wipe everybody out. This is right after He gives the Ten Commandments. They make a cow to worship. And He says, I'm wiping everybody out. And Moses says, hang on. That's not your character. I believe that that's still available for us today. And I believe that when the disciples went to Jesus and they asked him, how are we supposed to pray? And Jesus responded, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is still true for us today. There is no death in heaven. There is no sickness in heaven. There are no wheelchairs in heaven. There are no failing lungs in heaven. And there should not be any today. There's no COVID in heaven. There shouldn't be any on earth. I believe that. So we all prayed for Christopher. We all prayed for Sarah. Why did they pass? And why does it hurt so much when we lose a loved one, when we've done everything we're supposed to do? I don't know. I'm going to give you all the wisdom I have. I got nothing. I don't know why God heals some and not others. I just don't. But I do believe that only the only time that grace isn't enough for us in times like this is in when we fail to abide in Him. When we don't plug into Jesus Christ Himself in times like this, that's the only time that grace isn't enough. It's not that it's not available. We just haven't plugged in. Okay. When we do the right, when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, we're in disobedience. Okay? And I believe that God, through Jesus Christ, said, Abide in me. When you abide in me, you got everything that you need. So I want to tell you a little story about a burning building. There are burning buildings in every single one of our life. But when there's a burning building, whether you're on the street or if it's happening to your house, if you wake up to the smell of smoke and you're able to get on out, the first thing you do is you call 911. And when you call 911, the dispatcher sends a crew of firemen out to your house, but they don't show up in a sports car convertible. They're gonna show up in a fire engine. Because the sports car convertible is not the tool that they need for the job. <clears throat> the, the, the primary role, and this is the important part of this, this exhortation today, the primary role of a fireman is to get water to the fire. That's the primary role of a fireman, okay? When a fire engine, I did a little research today, when a fire engine rolls onto a scene, it has, if it's a pumper truck, it has a reserve of somewhere between 500 and 750 gallons of water. When it shows up, it is ready to start pumping. That's a reserve. This is so that the driver or engineer, whatever they call him, gets out and has time to hook up the hose to the hydrant but there's a reserve that's already in there so the firemen can do their primary role of getting water to the fire. Firemen do other things, right? They save cats out of the tree. You know, they'll help a guy that has heat stroke on the side of the road. They have other things that they do, but their primary role Get the water to the fire, and because of the reserve that they have, they're immediately able to dispense that water out onto the fire while somebody else takes care of the the next thing that we need. If it's a small grass fire, that reserve is plenty enough. That 500 to 750 gallons will last somewhere between two and a half to three and a half minutes of consistent pressure pressure to to start working that fire. And if it's a grass fire, that's probably enough. But what happens? when it's not enough. What happens if that goes empty? They have to go to the hydrant. They have to go to another water source. And then they uh, plug into that. That's the fire hydrant, right? Enter the fire hydrant. It's just a simple valve. If you took a look at it, it'll either dispense. uh, uh, If it's it's a non-freezing area, the valve is up on top. If it's a freezing area, that valve will go in underneath the freeze line. But they, they hook up. They hit the valve and the water starts to flow. And that's an endless supply of water. It doesn't stop flowing. In this illustration, guys, the burning building is everybody around us. It's people that are lost. It's people that are saved. People that are hurting. People that are depressed. My wife comes across burning buildings all the time in her workplace. Her eyes are open to it. Floyd, John, you guys just went into the Chapel Hill's mall. You deliberately went out looking for fires. As, uh, that's, those are burning people. They're people that are lost, and they're dying, and they're hurting, and most times they don't even know it. We are the firemen in this situation. Our sole purpose is to get the water to the fire. That's our job. It's not to build our own kingdom. We're not here to see how big a 401k we can get. Our job is to get the water to the fire. That's our job. The fire engine is our ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the reserve that we carry with us. But a lot of times that reserve is not enough. If we have a prayer life where we're praying at least one or two minutes a week, we're going to have a small reserve. And when we turn on that hose, it's going to go boop. And that's all that there is. But Mary, what I've been telling you about, get that word in you. Read that word, because you don't know when it's going to be needed. And what Floyd just said, when they went down to the Chapel Hills Mall... And they were looking for fires to put out. They didn't even have to dig out of a lot of scripture. God did all the work for them. They didn't have to worry about what they were going to say. They went out looking for fires. And from the wealth, the reserve that was in them, it was available. Okay? Jesus is our fire hydrant. In him, when we abide in him, when we tap into him, we have an endless supply of what is the love of God, which is the water, the love of God supplies every need. Everything that we need is in that water. Everything that the people need, whether it be healing, a broken marriage that needs to be restored, uh, children that are, are wayward that need to come back, whatever it is, the burning fires is, that love of God is enough. And there's an endless supply of it if you'll just tap in. <sighs> New Covenant and Old Covenant stuff. In the Old Covenant, the firemen would have to go to the mayor to get permission to plug into the fire hydrant. Our firemen have full authority to be able to hook up to any hydrant that they want at any time for any reason relative to their job. In Jesus Christ, we have the authority to hook up to any fire hydrant we need. Because the source is something that has been promised to us already. We don't need the mayor to give us permission to hook up to a fire fire hydrant. God has already given us that authority. That's the new covenant. The power is already available to us. That's the new covenant. John and Floyd told us in their appraised reports earlier today that they went out looking for fires. That's our job. Listen, firemen, they're not called cat-in-the-tree men. They're not called guy with heat stroke on the side of the road men. They're called firemen. Their primary role is to look for and find fires to put out. We are Christians. Our primary role is to find fires. And when we come across to Sarah and we come across to Christopher, we can we can go into him with what we have in our reserve and we can hit him with that. Matthew 9 tells a great story. Matthew 9 um, <clears throat> is the little boy that is has a demon. And this little boy the disciples prayed for him, and the demon did not come out. And so the father went after Jesus and said, Hey, your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. What gives? And Jesus took a look at him, and he stood, the boy fell down. He started convulsing. And Jesus, here's, here's where I'm getting at. Jesus commanded the demon to come out, and the demon came out. The disciples after did the exact thing that we're supposed to do today. If the firemen show up to put out a fire and their reserve is is spent and they don't hook up to a hydrant, what do they do? Just kind of throw their hands up and say, oh, well, we tried. No, they find the water source. Our job is to find the water source. When Chris passes and when Sarah passes, and we knew God was going to raise them, we knew it because we were obedient to do everything we knew to do. Now is not a time for us to be discouraged. Now is a time for us to find a water source. In Jesus Christ, that is our water source. The new covenant provides us an unlimited Unfettered access to the creator of the universe and every tool that he has is at our disposal. It's in times like this, it's very, very critical, guys. We cannot let our doctrine be changed because we prayed and we didn't get the result that we thought we were supposed to. Mm -hmm. We can't change our doctrine, instead, we got to do like the disciples did and say, What did we do wrong? If we believe that God's desire is that everyone is healed, and we pray for somebody and they're not healed, it doesn't mean we did something wrong, but certainly something doesn't mesh with what we believe. The disciples say, why couldn't we cast him out? That's what we need to do today. We need to go to Jesus and say, I know we did everything we know how to do. And it's not something to put us down. No condemnation. Sarah, Christopher, much better place right now. Okay? Nevertheless, there's another Sarah, and there's another Christopher. And we will have an opportunity if we go to the Lord and say, What am I missing? God loves that. And when we persevere in prayer, maybe our reserve wasn't deep enough. Maybe we didn't have enough. Maybe, like Bill Johnson says, we have a situation that requires two two days of solid prayer, and so we pray for a day and stop and then chalk it up to the sovereignty of God. It's not what we're supposed to do. Watchman Nee, in his book, Let Us Pray, said, we pray until the burden of prayer is lifted. That's it. When the burden of prayer is lifted, That's it. It didn't lift. So you, if you continue to pray, then that's the right thing to do. Listen, last couple of days, we've been, every every chapter, one on top of this, is building us and building us up and building us up to this point. Maturity is something that we spoke about the last time. Mature cr- Christians don't give up when it gets hard. Mature, mature Christians don't say, well, that's it. The fire's still burning, but I'm out of water. We have access right over here. In the hydrant. We have access to get it more. We have to do everything we can to build up our faith. Last comment. We have not been left powerless. It's our responsibility to find the source in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Amen.